Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Sherry Zeisel. I'm taking over the show today because I have questions for Alan about many experiments and time management, and I think I just may be able to stump him. So let's see if I can do that. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So like I said, my name is Sherry Zeisel. I used to be a high school math and science teacher at a Catholic high school, but I left a few years ago to raise my child full-time. And as I was coming out of that teaching high school career, I noticed that there was kind of a gap in the homeschool curriculum market because in, in uh, Catholic high schools, we have teachers that can basically reinterpret secular textbooks in the religious perspective so that we can teach the students how faith and reason do not, in fact, contradict each other. But in the homeschool market, you have to rely on your textbook to do that. And most parents have a very hard time with the confidence in how to do that, particularly for science. So I thought, this is a great gap in the market. I can fill that gap in the market. And I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And I wanted to start with biology because I'm very passionate about biology. And I'm very excited to be on this podcast today. And I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. And Alan Donegan will probably contradict me in a moment when I let him talk finally. But it's Alan Donegan who, in fact, has given me the courage to pursue this as a project. And he's a hero to me and to people like me who have actually been listening from the beginning of the show and who would never have started a project like this without his practical steps to take. So with that, welcome to your own show, Alan. <laughs> Sherry, it's so good to be on my own show. Uh, thank you for such a wonderful introduction. I don't feel like a celebrity. I feel like it's just me. It's just Alan. I'm just some random Britishman sat in a WeWork in Colombia, as obviously that's where I would be. I'm excited about this. So you've been inspired. You've got an idea. You've seen a gap in the market and you're excited. So, so what have you done so far? Well, I was listening to your show on mini experiments and I thought to myself, I need to try something mini to see if I can actually do this as a homeschool curriculum. And I thought it won't be too hard. I have all the notes that I have from teaching this as a course in the high school. So it just so happens that my younger brother was the correct age to take high school biology. So I worked out a deal with my mom, who is a homeschooling mom. Why don't I teach my brother this class and see if I can actually do it? So I did. And it was the hardest thing wow. I've done in my life. So I thought, <laughs> this is not necessarily, I don't know if it fits the description <laughs> of mini. So that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, how do I actually make something mini to experiment with so I don't have to take a whole year between iterations? First of all, it's going to be hard teaching your brother. Like, I don't listen to my brother. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a tough project. Family is always the toughest to work with because, yeah, it's a different, it's a different thing to a real-life customer who's paid money and actually respects you. I'm sure he's the hardest student I will ever have to teach, but it has happened. <laughs> I love that. So you've done the first iteration. So with mini experiments, 
the mini can apply to several different bits. So the mini could be the testing the market to see if the market wants it. So the mini experiment could be we'll create a web page detailing the course. We'll put it out to the market of homeschoolers. I'm sure there are homeschooling Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups. There's places where we can find them and we can put it out there and see if they buy. And that would be the mini experiment. And if they buy, well, then we do have to deliver. If they don't buy, then we've had some learning. Yes, definitely. But the mini experiment doesn't have to apply to the product. It can apply to the marketing. Because if if the market doesn't react well, then we don't have to go on and sell it. Okay. So to recap then, you can do a mini experiment in marketing and put it out there and get, say, a few people interested in the product. You can see how many people are interested in the product. And then the kicker is that you actually have to be prepared to deliver, which is, I think, where I start to get scared because I know how much work it will be. And I'm like, what if I can't actually deliver this in a consistent fashion? Because I know that in my personal life, things come up. Like, I'm going to have another baby in November. So that's a thing that I'm going to have to work around. What I have done so far in taking it the next step is I've gone to a local homeschool co-op and offered to teach it as a class to the local homeschool co-op. And they can have the lectures online and then I'll teach the labs in person. And they're totally fine with me taking a maternity leave at the end of the year. So I thought that might be a feasible next step. Yeah, absolutely. The other way, so we've talked about the the mini bit applying to the marketing. The other way is to go, well, okay, how does the mini apply to the product? So instead of doing the 32-week full curriculum, could we go down to its tutoring for the students? It's a two-week course across the summer, and it's a science camp or a biology camp. It's a a weekend top-up. It's uh, I'll take over from the parents who are doing homeschooling for one week to give them a break. Like, how can we vary the product? That's something that I've also thought a good bit about. And it would probably help there to have more input from the actual homeschooling moms, because my main experience of homeschooling is being homeschooled myself. So I know what worked for me, but I don't know what other people are currently using and whether they're doing things like unit studies, whether they're just hoping for, I want something that's going to take me all the way through the year so I don't have to think about it anymore. And I'm sure there are people that fit in both categories. But on that note, though, how would I get in touch with these people without necessarily having a product yet to sell them, to kind of figure out what they want? There's only one way to know what they want. There's literally only one way, and that's to talk to them. My favorite type of mini experiment is where you ask for money, because I always think that's the only real moment of truth is when you say to someone, give us the money. However, in this instance, there might be a step before where we can build a short survey, we can write some questions, we can find the homeschoolers, we can ask them what's the biggest problem homeschooling, what's your biggest challenge, what content do you currently use? What books do you go to? What online services do you use? We could understand the market. We can take our time 
and we could do some research, which will be very, very interesting to understand the marketplace. Then we can sort of go out there and say, well, okay, here's what we've done to stand the market. Here's what we could offer to fill the gaps. So there might be a step where we can reach out to these people on the different groups and say, I want to do this. I don't know if it's a good idea. Can you help me first? How does that sound? I can't say I've ever actually thought of doing that. So that's very helpful. We're just brainstorming at the moment. And that's part of the fun of business is no one has all the answers. Like we literally don't know. We have to make it up as we go along. I have a few ideas that I know have worked for me. I've never sold a homeschooling course. I've sold training slightly different. So we just kind of have to make it up as we go along and see what happens. The nice thing about homeschoolers is that they tend to exist in groups. So you can get like a homeschool group for a particular geographic area. And then if you can figure out who is in charge of communications to that group, they have email lists and you have to figure out, okay, of that email list, I don't know which of those people is my target market, which is the ones that actually have high school students and presumably the parents are dissatisfied with the curriculum that's currently out there. I don't know if there's a way to particularly target those parents without going into each of the geographic location groups. Do you have any thoughts on that? To start with, we just want anyone who's homeschooling high schoolers. Is, is the specific needs homeschooling high schoolers and Catholic? Yes, those three things. Okay, so if I go to Facebook and I type in homeschooling high school Catholic, there is a Catholic mummers homeschooling high school group. There's a Catholic homeschooling mums group, which has 9.1 thousand members. There's some interesting groups just by doing that. And then I would reach out to the people who administer the groups, uh, say hello, tell them what you're thinking, ask to join the group and start chatting to the parents and asking them some questions. That sounds like a good idea. And who knows what comes from that? And I think, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I, when I first launched my first business this time around, I wanted to do a training business. I went for support and they taught me to write a business plan. I spent two weeks writing this business plan. It was beautiful. It had colored charts. It had graphs. It was amazing. It was like 15 pages long. I printed it out, put it in my desk drawer, and then I went to see a real life customer. And I learned more in an hour with a real life customer than I did in two weeks of research and writing. And actually that real life customer gave me, actually, I don't want that idea, Alan. What I want is this. And in that moment, I had that choice. I either stick to my plan or I sell them what they want. And you can probably guess which one I chose. Yes, knowing you, you probably chose to give them what they wanted. It's, it's a lot easier route. It's a lot easier route. And I actually was quite interested because I'd never thought of it that way. I'd never considered their angle. So they really helped me. What I would do is I'd join these couple of groups and I would start asking you know, so what's the biggest problem with homeschool? Maybe even, you know, you can do questions on Facebook and you can do polls and different things. Do a poll. What's the biggest problem you've got with homeschooling? Or what's the biggest problem with science homeschooling? And ask them that question. Then you could ask them another question later on. Which resources do you think are the most valuable to help teach your high school age kids? And I think you'll learn so much about the problem you're trying to fix because business is about uncovering a problem and then selling that person something that fixes it and makes their life better. 
Yes. And I think I have a general grasp of the problem. My target market basically is people like my mother. And my mother was the type of homeschooler who, although very intelligent, and she has a master's degree and everything, science was not her strong suit. And so basically she would hand us a textbook and say, here, learn this, and I'll give you the test at the end of the year. That worked for me. And I actually went to study science in college, but my siblings could have used a more hands-on approach. And I thought, there's, there's something I can do to help people that are in the situation that my mother was in. But the technology has changed since then. So I may need to change the format to be up with the times and deliver this in the way that people want to receive it. Because the other thing we can do is with this sort of experiment is go, here's my three ideas. Idea one, there's like a live online lesson each week that the kids do at school and then they get follow-up stuff. Idea two is I provide the resources and you follow along with the classes and the experiments at home. Idea three, just making this up completely, you know the subscription box businesses, so you can buy a box of anything. Yours can be the biology subscription box, so they get the thing in the post that they have to examine that week and then they log in and talk about it and each month they get their box of biology things that they have to do for homeschooling i don't know there's so many different options that we could come up with there are a lot of options and i think that's where i'm going to have to actually talk to these people and figure out what they want yes one thing that comes to mind when you say that I don't know if you ever remember the old Henry Ford quote that was when he was first producing the car, he said something along the lines of, if I gave my customers what they wanted, I would have given them a faster horse. He also said something along the lines of, you can have a Model T in any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> he did. He did. He has some fantastic quotes out there. What I was suggesting was sometimes parents, customers, people don't know that they want something until you put it in front of them. So yes, ask them what they want and come up with your ideas and suggest it to them. Because once they see they're not the font of all the ideas, they probably will be able to tell you the problems, but then you're going to have to iterate and think of the solutions and then offer it back to them because they won't always know if they knew what the solution was, they would have done it themselves. So we need to help them define the problem. And then we go back to them and go, here's five or six ideas for solutions. Which one would you like to buy? <laughs> yes. Now, when you say, which one would you like to buy? Do I have to say like a general price range? Or do I just have to say, do you want to buy it? It depends how where we want to land this first bit, how confident we're feeling. The loose test is a vote where you just say, here's the options. You put it in front of the 19,000 people in the group and say, which of these sounds best? And they'll give you a rough idea. Then you'd have to go to the next step, which is actually defining the one they want, putting a price against it and saying, ideal mini experiment is, would you like to buy, click the button and give me your credit card details now? That's the ideal mini experiment because anyone can say, oh, that sounds great, but it doesn't mean they'll follow through. So for uh, the second phase of this experiment, then I presume I would have to have some type of website or landing page to send people to where they could, in fact, buy the thing. I think that's probably ideal. How fancy would that need to be? 
That's a tough question to answer because obviously the better the marketing is, the higher the conversion rate will be. However, the homeschoolers will know it's you providing this and people buy from people they trust. So if they can see it's you, they know it's you. There's a video of you teaching it, doing an experiment. They can see that. They'll forgive some of the imperfections of the website because it's a real human. And I guess it depends how you're pitching it. If you're pitching it as one of these very shiny, like homeschooling things with the beautiful display and all that stuff, or you're pitching it as a real life person who's a real teacher who will really help you, that has a different feel. And how fancy does it have to be? The nicer the marketing, the better the conversion, but we just need to do enough to get you out there. I guess I have a little bit of hang up about that because I'm naturally a perfectionist and I think I don't really want to put a website up there with my name on it unless it's good enough that it would make me buy. That's interesting. So and I'm a tough sell. Yeah. Yes, and most people aren't as tough as you, I am sure. Couple of thoughts. One is, have you ever visited my website, alandonegan.com? I did, yes. Did you notice any spelling mistakes? There were a couple. <laughs> my business partner hates me for this because i just put stuff out there and it just has to get done if we waited perfection it would never get done and i am sure there are people who have been put off my services because i haven't spelt everything perfect because the images aren't exactly lined up whatever it is there's plenty of details i have got wrong over the years and i'm 100 percent positive i put customers off. I'm not concerned about spelling mistakes. I know I'm kind of a grammar nerd myself, so I'm not concerned about that. I think I could find enough images to put on it, but I'm more concerned about things like, what if I put an email sign up on there and it doesn't actually function? Or what if I put a box for people to put their credit card in there and it just vanishes into oblivion and I don't know about it because... <laughs> So we can mitigate those problems with testing it. So we need to find one of your friends. We find one of the mums. If you've joined these groups and made friends, then I would actually be saying to some of the friends I've made in the group, look, I'm actually going to launch this now. I'm really keen on doing it. Please, would you test the website for me and give me some feedback? So go through it. Have a look at the pictures. Tell me what you think. And like, would you actually put your details in? I won't charge you. It's okay. And I just need to know if it works. So does the email sign up form work? Does this work? And if we use a service such as PayPal to put a button on there, it's fairly easy to do. And we can trust PayPal is going to do the actual credit card bit. We don't actually need to do that bit. Or we use a MailChimp for the sign up form to get people's email addresses. We can trust them to do their bit. But I would still, I still do it. I get someone to to test it. And the last thing that I sold physically online, we were running an event. My wife and I were doing it together. We put the page up and she set the price to one pound. And I put my credit card details in and I was charged the one pound. And the bank provider took their percentage commission. And I lost that. I got that back. But I trusted that I'd spent my pound and I knew it would come through to me the other side. So just set the price to a pound and test the system and ask someone else to buy it and have a go. And then we'll know it actually works. I think part of the reason that I get nervous about websites is because 
technology is not exactly my forte. <laughs> I'm very good at science. I can make computers do what I want them to do, but I have tried making websites a couple of times and it's just been very confusing and frustrating. Can you recommend like for an absolute beginner, what's the best way to set up a basic website? The one I use and I love because it made it simple for me is called Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. That's what I built all of my websites on. It makes it super easy. They have video guides. Henry at the Rebel Business School team has done a load of video guides. You can just follow along his video guides, click here, drag here, and it's a drag and drop. That has been the easiest one we found. The other thought I have is friends and family. Is your brother any good with technology and websites? He's very good with sound engineering. I don't think he's ever attempted a website. <laughs> so I would have a go and then I'd start asking friends and family for some help if it goes badly. But I know you can do this. I've seen people build a website with no experience and they've created something reasonably good. And they give you templates that you can follow where you just change out the picture, fill in the details, drag in the buttons, and you've got a basic website. So I would just have a go and start and you will learn so much from starting. The toughest bit with this stuff is the starting and having a go. Right. And that's what I've been figuring out lately as I've been trying to learn new things. And I know I can learn basically anything if I have enough time to devote to it. But like I said, I'm a full-time mom. I have a toddler. I have another one on the way. And time is at a premium right now. I basically have maybe two hours a day that I can devote to this. And I want to make sure that I'm using that in the most efficient way that I possibly can. And I know that you've talked a lot about time slash energy management. In fact, you had uh, David Allen on your podcast at one point, and I listened to that. And then I got his book and I read it through. And now I've been waiting for the construction at our house to get done so I can get my office back so I can actually start putting this into practice. <laughs> but I was wondering if you had any tips for people, particularly like me, because I'm sure that there are a lot of young moms in your audience who would like to start businesses, but the time thing is a, a big crunch. Yes. And I think you've got two hours a day that you can spend and then it's about working out what the best, because that's the time you've got. That's what it is. We don't really want to squeeze spending time with your toddler. We don't really want to squeeze spending time with your family. We've got the time we've got. Two thoughts. One is we can expediate things by spending money to have someone else build the website, have someone else do the bits, and you can make things going quicker by hiring other people. I'm not a huge fan of that when you're starting, because I think you could knock up a basic website probably in a week of your two hours a day, just having a go, and it'll be good enough. It's never going to be perfect, but it'll be good enough. And the only other way to do it is just to spend your two hours a day on the highest value tasks that we can think of, and just slowly work through it. And it's going to take you longer. It's going to take time. But that's the time you've got. The trick then is identifying what's the highest value task for at this current juncture. Yes, that is 
absolutely the piece absolutely the piece which i think we've kind of i feel like we've already done that to start with which the highest value thing is going into these different groups finding your real customers and asking them about their problem and learning about them and i think if you do that consistently over the next couple of weeks you will learn so much that you didn't realize or there'll be a bunch of people who tell you that they're having exactly the same experience as you did with your brother and they need help um, and then we can come up with a bunch of ideas to sell to them put the ideas in front of them ask them which one they like the most and then we can start to move forwards but i think the number one activity is learning the customer because the better you understand the person at the other side the better you can sell to them and a lot of people think selling is selling at someone i'm going to talk at you until you buy selling is listening and understanding and asking questions so that gives me a pretty good idea of what to do for the foreseeable future but i realize that as i continue with this business i'm not going to have an alan to talk to every time i need future clarification <laughs> so i'm wondering do you have like a heuristic of how do you look at possible tasks and figure out What's the highest value for today? Absolutely. So the David Allen episode is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, you could probably hear in my voice. I was quite excited to have him on the show. I've read his books. I've done his courses. The idea is we've got an overall goal of I want to come up with a product or a service that I'm going to sell to homeschooling mums in science and Catholic. That's the overall goal where I'm going. And then I've got, okay, what are my options to get there? What am I doing? And then I have a look down and I look at them and go, what's the thing I really need to get done today? Just one. And you normally get a feeling. You just look at the list and you go, oh, I know I need to do that. <laughs> or you go, I'm excited about that. I know I need to do that. And that's the thing you've got to tackle the first. And I know that sounds fluffy and unhelpful advice, but you will get a feeling. You'll just know. And the reason you'll know is because you know your goal and you always go to the, what's the outcome I want? Where am I heading? And then what is the next action? What's the thing that I know will get me towards that? And I want to go through a list right now and show you a list and show you this feeling so you can get it. Have you ever looked at a list and just gone, I know that's the one I need to do? No, actually, mostly I look at a list and my heart sinks because I don't understand how I can fit all of those things into the time that I have. That's really fascinating because that is exactly the feeling my wife Katie gets. If she looks at the list and goes, how am I going to do all of this? I look at the list and go, what's the one thing that I can tick off that I know will move me towards my goal? And I just try and do one thing. I've given up trying to doing everything, Sherry. I cannot. I know. I just fail. Every time I try and do everything, I fail. So do I, but I haven't somehow made the mental shift that I, I just need to focus on one thing. Has your wife been able to get to that point over the years, or is she still working on it? She's getting better. She's definitely getting better. We we were trying to plan. We're planning on coming to the to the States, to America for the summer. And we were trying to do it today and we fell foul of this exact issue. And Katie was trying to make all of the decisions, 
plan the entire trip to America, where we're going to stay, what we're going to drive, what we're going to do. She was trying to make all decisions. And I was just like, where are we going to stay in Seattle? Like, if I can just get that one thing done, then I will have moved the project on. And after I've done Hotel for Seattle, we're going to a wedding afterwards, which I'm very excited about. And then, okay, where are we going to stay at the wedding? But I just focus on the one thing. And we fell foul of this today and it created a huge amount of stress between the two of us because she was trying to fix everything. And I was going, well, we've only got 90 minutes. Let's just try and pick a hotel and get started. It sounds like Katie and I have a lot in common. She, she's wonderful. I love her so much. And she just, she, she wants to get everything done. And I don't know, you, very interesting. You said you hadn't made the shift yet. I don't know when I made that shift. I think, I think they just got a stage in life where there was too much coming at me that I knew I couldn't do it all. It's like, I'm never going to do it all. Maybe it was actually one of the David Allen courses was, he said something along the lines of, some of your projects are longer than a lifetime's work. <laughs> I looked down my project list and I was like, wow, he's right. Changing the way entrepreneurship is taught around the world. That's probably longer than a lifetime mission. Probably around the whole world, yes. I'm on it. I'm building the Rebel <laughs> Business School in Colombia. We're in Morocco, France. I'm on it. But I suddenly realized I can't do it all. Now, there's no way. I've just got to pick the one or two things that I think will be the most fun, that will create the most value in my life, that will create the value in other people's lives. And I'll just do that thing and I'll make progress on it. If... I look at the whole list, I actually become paralyzed and stop doing anything. Do you think it has to do at all with perfectionism and wanting everything that you do to be the best and then being able eventually to let go of that? Yes, I gave up on being perfect many years ago. <laughs> I think, yes, perfectionism plays a huge part because we end up... Have you ever heard the expression that work expands to fill the time allowed? Oh, yes. I've had that experience many times. So if you've got two hours in a day to work on your business and you want it to be perfect, like you will spend those two hours making it perfect and they will vanish. Whereas I think the approach I now take is I need to get this task done. Let's just get it done. It'll be 80% good, but 80% will create more results than taking the length of time to get it perfect and getting less actually done. Yes, 80% is better than zero. Absolutely. And that's a really uncomfortable thing to say to a perfectionist. And I've had those, those moments where I've said, we just need to get this out. And I can see the perfectionist in front of me squirm, going, it's not ready, it's not right. Particularly because I have this, this feeling that anything I put out into the world reflects upon me as a person, and it either reflects well or it reflects badly. And I don't want things out there that are going to reflect badly. Do you think less of me because I have spelling mistakes on my website? Having listened to your podcast, no, because I know that that's you. I think if I had looked at your website first, I might have written you off. I love the honest feedback. That's awesome. And you're not going to get to work with everyone. And I'm sure I've put people off with the podcast. I'm sure that things haven't gone right. And what I'm doing is not... It's not going to fit everyone. And that's okay. And actually, 
what I found in business is the more I am who I am, the more people connect with me and the right people that I would feel comfortable working with connect me. If I put out this overly polished, perfect picture of who I am and they connect with that, when they meet the real Alan, (laughs) they're going to have a little bit of a shock. It's like if you go on a first date and you put on all the airs and graces and you're the perfect whatever and then afterwards they come home with you and they're like surprised. Oh, is this who you really are? It's not going to last. That makes a lot of sense. I think that will help my mental image. I just have to remember that, that I don't want people to get to know a version of me that's way better than what I actually can deliver. They just need to get to know who you are and they'll fall in love with you and they'll fall in love with what you do and the version you produce and they'll love you for it. And then we can iterate and we can improve it the next year and improve it the next year and we can make things better as we go. But if we never get version one out there and they don't fall in love with version one, you can never get to version two. Now, I was going to ask you also, and this is kind of a longer term question, realistically, how good do you think my chances would be of actually pulling this off with the limited amount of time that I have and with the limited resources that I have? Can I actually make this thing work? Because with the... um, long time that it takes between iterations, like we've been saying, it kind of feels like I'm putting in all this effort at the bottom and I don't know yet if it's going to pay off at the end. So it'd be nice to get a notion of whether it's actually going to pay off eventually in the future. I have so many thoughts for you, Sherry. One is, I don't know. There is no way of knowing. And at Rebel Business School, people regularly come to me and go, Alan, Alan, will my business idea be successful? And what do you think I say to them? Probably that you don't know. There's only one question I can answer. And the only question I can answer with 100% certainty is, would I buy? I can't answer if anyone else would buy. I can't answer if you're going to get millions of customers. And actually, if you look at Shark's Tank or Dragon's Den, even the expert billionaires and millionaires, they get it wrong 50% of the time. They can't predict what the market wants. The only way to know is to put it out there and ask people to buy. And I would feel the same way as you, because do I really want to put years of my life into this thing not knowing it'd work? That's why I say sell at the start. Because if you sell and you've got customers, well, it's already worked. Then you can deliver what you've got and you've got a successful first version. This is why when people write courses, they're like, Alan, I just need to write the whole thing before I deliver it. Like you're going to spend a year of your life writing a course that you don't know if anyone wants. Like, stop, stop, sell it first, sell it first. And that's the mini experiment. That's the mini piece. And if you've got a bunch of customers, we know you're going to be successful because you can then, you'll put your heart into it. You'll put your energy into it. You'll help these kids. They'll learn. The parents will love it. Like you'll put you into it and you'll give it everything you've got. And you've already been successful because you've sold it. Does that kind of make sense on that thought? I've already put a lot of time and energy into it because I did sell it to my mother. I had one customer. so. (laughs) (laughs) But I think any work that you put in at the front end, you can recycle for future iterations. And I did learn a whole lot from my first mini experiment, which wasn't exactly mini which this should be front and center of your marketing is I've already done this. 
I did it intensively for one child. I've run the course. I learned this. Here's what went wrong. Here's how I fixed it. People really appreciate that honesty that you've learned, you've developed. This is not version one. The second thought, I have a friend called Ken. He runs a website called The Humble Penny, and he's a dad. He has many kids, and he has two hours a night to be able to do what he does. He gave a talk at one of the Rebel Business Schools, and he's built an incredibly successful blog, and since then, an incredibly successful YouTube channel in two hours a night around his kids. But what he did was he was just doing a bit each night, and it built up over the years. And that's going to have to be the approach you take for the moment. It'll change. Things will happen. It'll move on. But for now, we just need to build what you can along the way, and you'll be building towards it. If you've sold it, sell the first thing, then we know we can start building it as we go. Katie and I ran a course. We ran a course called Take Control of Your Finances. We just rebranded it called Rebel Business School, Rebel Finance School. We had a lot of fun doing it. The first time we did it, it was an eight-week course. How much of the eight-week course do you think we wrote before we sold it? Not much, probably. We had an outline. I knew what each week would be, you know, a title, maybe a couple of bullet points. And we put it out there and we offered it to people and 150 people signed up. And it was like, okay, we better write this thing now. And we literally wrote the course each week that we delivered the course. So we would deliver it every Monday and we'd finish the course on Monday and then start writing the next course on Tuesday, the next week's bit. Then we'd deliver it then and we'd do this. And every week people would give us feedback and go, this bit doesn't make sense. This bit doesn't make sense. And then we'd come back the next week with a better version. We'd help them with the questions. And we just, we wrote as we went along. That's the step to get comfortable with writing and going and creating. You are a teacher. You're already a million steps ahead. As long as you actually have the time to do that. What I was finding in my first experiment was that each lesson as I was making it was taking between four and six hours to create from start to finish, which I was not expecting because hey, I'd already taught this course in person. But it turns out that some things don't quite translate. So you have to you have to put in the extra time to record the lesson, to edit the lesson, to put in any extra notes, to make the homework for the lesson. It was taking me a significant chunk of time, which realistically, I didn't exactly have. How much of that work have you already done? I would say I have approximately three quarters of the whole course done to a level where I could sell it to someone else. And then I would just have to fill in the remaining quarter or so. Okay. Well, that seems like you've already done it. You Like, that's huge. It should be more or less doable. The only issue would be if I, fe- if I find that I need to iterate again and rejig some of the stuff that I've already made, I'm going to have to figure out, okay, how much time will that take? And do I have that time? Well, the, the thing here is we're back to work expands to fill the time allowed. So when you're saying how long will it take to iterate, it will take as long as you want it to. And we had this with our course. The reason we were able to do it is because we had a deadline each week. Each week we had to deliver the new thing. So we only had a set number of hours. We did those hours and we delivered it. We did the best we could. We put everything into it. 
but we did our set number of hours and then we delivered it and that was it. We gave ourselves that deadline and we gave ourselves the number of hours. You've got two hours a night. That's it. That's what it takes to iterate it. That'll be the next version. That's all we can do. And then we'll give it the best we can, put it out there and get on with the next version. And people will get very uncomfortable about that because they're like, well, I need to keep tweaking it. The problem is you can tweak ad finitum. You'll never end up tweaking it. We've run this course twice now. We spent a huge number of hours making it better this time. Do you think by the 10th time, do you know how many times I've run a rebel business school? No, I don't. I'd like to know, actually. Me neither. I have no idea. It must be in the hundreds now. But I've run this two-week course. Every time I run it, do you think I tweak it? Probably. I try and make it better. I try and make it more relevant to the people every single time. That will never end. So you've kind of just got to put yourself a deadline on it and go, I'm going to get it to this kind of level. You've already done the work and you just need to sort of go, okay, I've sold it. I've got two hours to improve it. I'm going to give it my all. It's going to be done to a level that I'm comfortable with and that's it. It's out there. Well, that gives me a a lot to to think about and a lot to work into my business over time. And I think I will actually make more progress now having talked to you. So thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure because I think I think if we were to look at this, the first bit was how to break it down to a next step because I think you were looking at, I just need to do the whole thing in one and we just need to break it down to the next step. Uh, the second thing is sort of about the marketing and how good, how shiny, how fancy does it have to be? And also that the mini part of the mini experiment relates to the selling the thing, not necessarily the making the thing. It could be both. It could be either. Because if we do a mini experiment and try and sell this and no one buys, we've saved you a lot of time. And then we can try something else and sell something else and see what that happens then. And I think with the time thing, you only have so many hours and you can only do what you can do in those hours. And you just need to start, make progress, get it done. And I think there is a level of letting go of the perfectionism and just getting it done to the best of your ability in that amount of time and getting it out there. I think I'm going to make myself a clip of your voice saying, done is better than perfect. (laughs) So Sherry, you've been hosting the show. One of the most important things for me is knowing that you got something out of it. What's the biggest thing you got out of this chat? What's the takeaway you're going to go away with? Definitely. I was so encouraged to talk to you, Alan. And I think The biggest thing I'm going to come away with is just knowing that a mini experiment does not have to involve a short time commitment. It's just basically putting it out there and seeing if anyone will buy. And that, I think, is the point that I've gotten the most hung up on up to this point. So I think that's that's something that I'm now unstuck and I can now move forward on. So thank you. It's a pleasure. And I love that. And I hope everyone else listening to the show right now gets that as well. Like it doesn't have to be a big thing. Just try and sell it. If someone buys, we've got a business. If they don't, it's okay. We'll just pretend it didn't happen. We'll talk about it later. We'll learn some lessons and it's fine. The thing that I would love to end the show on and to give everyone listening is you can only do what you can only do. You've only got so much time. Life is set up with 24 hours a day and you have kids and a job and family and life and things and you only have so much time. Get that time, however much it is to you, and just make sure it's focused, 
full of energy, full of joy, full of passion. Give it all you can, put it all out there, and then pack up when that time is done, knowing that you've given everything. Because if you can do that, it's the juice, it's the joy that you put into that time. So put everything into those hours that you've got. It's what you've got. And just start, have fun, make an impact, and go out there and create something extraordinary. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.